Welcome to LARPing Live, first episode of season two. Before we get started, I just want to say thank you so much for your support um, across platforms, right? No matter where you're listening to this, um, you're viewing my YouTube channel, you're checking out my Instagram, the Discord, the Telegram channel. I'm truly humbled and blessed, so thank you very, very much. I did not expect things to kick off this quickly, um, and for so many of y'all to give me so much support. Really, really, truly humbled here. Um, Just a quick heads up, I'm doing this episode alone. I have a few guests scheduled and lined up for this season, a few others who I've talked to and we don't have uh, anything on the calendar yet, all of which are awesome. Uh, Not to be outdone anyone in the first season, but we've got a huge heavy hitter lineup for season two. If you know of somebody you should be on the podcast, feel free to email me, riskychrisky at protonmail.com or DM me on any of my other uh, platforms. That link is in the description. Go check that out. Check out the other content. Um, I'm really active over on YouTube right now. And again, I apologize for taking so long to get back into this podcasting. I just need some motivation and I really wanted to bring some heavy hitters to the table. Still just working on that scheduling. So without further ado, let's talk. Stay low, go fast, kill first, die last. One shot, one kill, no luck, all skill. Hello, this is Risky Krisky, and you've stumbled upon my podcast. I'm also on YouTube, so go check that out. But if you like all things shit hits the fan, Minuteman, Prepper, Medical Skills, and just pretty much anything Red Dawn type invasion, well, this is your place. Buckle up for safety, motherfucker, because we're about to go balls to the wall. Risky Krisky out. There's this old uh, story, and if you're familiar with this, you're probably going to know what my old job was, but the story goes something like this, and it's in regards to waiting and hesitating to start something, you know, such as getting into the Minuteman or preparedness lifestyle or starting a YouTube channel or whatever, right? Um, So the old adage is uh, making pots, like clay pots on one of those, you know, turntable type deals. You know what I'm talking about, where you take the the raw clay, put it on there, it spins, you put your hands around it and you mold it and form it into a bowl or a pot. Okay. So they took this, uh, they had a study and they did a class and I think they had like a hundred students and they cut it in half. So 50 of the students would, would practice. They'd start from day one. They had a month. Um, and so every single day they would go in and they would practice making clay pots and none of them mattered, right? They were not graded on a single one until the last day and their final pot they were graded on. So you had, again, just to confirm, they had half the class go all month and practice every day, making pots, getting good at it. The other class, they had them go every day and research and look into what makes the perfect pot. And they, they made sure these people were prepared and studied and understood everything about the pot and how to make it, but they didn't let their, them put their hands on it. Okay. So it's, you know, it correlates here, right? 
Why? Because a lot of people want to wait until things are perfect, until all of the um, outliers are are in order for them to begin something because they don't want to put out a piece of content that isn't up to their standard. The problem is you don't know what you don't know if you don't have experience in something. And the only way to get experience is to go jump right in and do it. And it wasn't even close in the study. The class that had practiced all month by far outperformed and their pots were exquisite in comparison. Okay. So that makes sense, right? So if you're doing this, uh, you know, prepper deal or, or you, you know, you're one of the guys who messages me, Hey, how do I get in, um, into podcasting or into making YouTube channels or, or whatever? Um, you just go in balls deep. You just, you jump right in and you're going to make mistakes. Things are not going to be perfect, but you're not going to know any of that. And you're not going to find your groove and find what makes you special and what God drew you to that position or that calling for until you actually go do it. If you're just talking about things or you buy stuff and you don't zero it, um, and you know, you're, you talk about it and you put pictures up and you never go do it. Um, again, it's not a competition. I'm never going to know, right? How would, how would anyone else know? Um, unless you put yourself out there. And that's the thing. A lot of people are afraid, uh, of the negative feedback or the failure. If it's not perfect, I got, I got a, a wake up call for you. You're going to fail. And if you don't, go in and start and go balls deep, you're going to fail even bigger. So accept that. Get to the no. Get to the, you don't want a bunch of yeses. You want, if you get the no, you, you understand where you are in the world. Okay. So if you go out and you do this and you put yourself out there, like you want to do a YouTube channel and you put 50 or hundred videos out there and you get 200 views in the most, and your goal was to get a lot of views. Well, guess what? I think you might've just learned your lesson. Maybe that shit ain't for you. Maybe if it goes quickly, uh, maybe that's a sign. That's a clue, right? Or like with the prepping thing, you don't have to have a baller budget. You don't have to have all the resources out there. Don't just quit comparing yourself to other people. That's something I have to tell myself all the time, right? I look at my kit or I look at my stash of, you know, preps for when the fucking collapse happens. And I'm like, Yo, I, I really wish I was able to stack to the ceiling like I hear some of these guys talking about, literally where they stack to the ceiling, make another pile, stack to the ceiling. And I'm like, I don't even know if I got to the ceiling once, right? And that's okay though, because guess what? A majority of households in America aren't going to last 48 hours because they don't have 48 hours worth of food in their pantry or fridge, okay? So remember that and understand it's not an overnight thing. You're gonna, it's going to take time. And you're going to fail. But if you don't start now, you're going to be behind the curve, especially if you're considering it. With all that said, let's get on with the podcast. So how does that, you know, stupid art craft story pertain to getting involved as a Minuteman or getting into the quote unquote tactical community um, as a noob? Well, it it immediately correlates because... You don't have to think you're going to look cool or that you're going to fit in or anything like that because you're just not, not at first. And, and that's okay. We accept that. And you should too. Think of it like this. Um, you know, you go to the gym and you see somebody that's morbidly obese or out of shape and they're, they're in there on the treadmill or they're working out. 
You got two different kinds of people that will look at that individual. You have the person that looks at him and scoffs. <laughs> what are they doing in here? That person's typically an ignorant son of a bitch. Then you have the other people, generally speaking, the ones who are huge and ripped, right? And in shape. And they'll look at that person that's out of shape at the gym and they'll say, hey, I'm glad they started their journey or they're putting in the work. Okay. That's how we look at noobs in this community as well. The ones who degrade and talk down and trash to those people who are new or on a budget. Um, and I don't put those in the same category. I just, I feel like a lot of those guys, uh, I don't want to say act the same way, but they, they're worried about similar things. A lot of times they're worried or they're concerned that they're not going to be seen as capable because they have budget stuff or they're new and they're, they're not capable because they literally aren't just because they, they don't know yet. But you know, what are we doing here? We're looking at these new guys or the people who are just getting started and we're saying, welcome to the team. Glad you're here. Better late than never, right? Um, because the majority of people are not going to be prepared or even take that first step. So congrats. Let me just say that. Congrats. Um, and if you're here and you are that experienced prepper or you know retired combat vet, or SWAT guy, you know, whatever your thing is, you know, maybe you want to hear this too, because it's a, it's a good gut check to, because we're in such a, like an echo chamber. Once you get into this, you know, full steam ahead that it's, it's hard to remember sometimes, Hey, everyone isn't the dude from counting coup tactical, right? Everyone doesn't understand, you know, everything. And, and I know that was super fucking vague there. Let me re rephrase that. Everyone doesn't understand why I might want a 2MOA dot at the 12 o'clock above my LPVO and why I'm running this length with that on there, right? Like, that's a pretty specific example. But half of you listening to this are going to be like, well, that's a good question, right? Sometimes I don't think about that. So, And, and if I'm or other people in the community, if we're overlooking stuff like that, think of all the other stuff we overlook. Right. And that's why if you go over to my YouTube channel, just risky, crisky, search it. It's the only one on there. Um, you'll you'll see my most popular video as far as views are concerned is the civilian rifle team. one. And why is that? I thought I thought that video would be somewhat of a bomb video and that it wouldn't do very well because I thought it was a given. And that's my ignorance. I didn't realize, hey, unless you've been in a rifle team, squad, platoon, you may not know the size of that and what the designation of jobs are in that and how that could pertain to civilians, right? Because, like, how would I know the different positions held um, in an engineer company if I'm not an engineer, right? And let's say I'm not even a veteran. How the fuck would I know any of that? And I, it's something we take for granted. So that's kind of... That's a good reminder that, remember, we're still in the minority just being in this preparedness tactical community, much less the people who know what the fuck they're doing. And I'm not even saying I know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm just saying have some semblance of, of, of understanding what it takes to be squared away. Um, so that being said, what are some basic things we're going to need to get into this? Well, I would say, and I, I don't do a great job on YouTube of this, so let's just lay down the law here. If you don't have food and water, damn, that fucking bird's loud. Could you pick a different tree, bird, please? 
if you don't have food squared away and water for you and your family, yeah, maybe get a, a weapon for self-defense, but that should take precedence over everything because you will still have to eat. You will still have to sleep and drink and just live when the, you know, the shit hits the proverbial fan. It's not going to matter. So if you get that squared away and how much, I don't know, dude, I don't know how much you eat. I don't know how big your family is. Um, I don't know how long this is going to last. I think, you know, get a, get a month. Then once you get a month, get your water and your energy squared away. Then when you do that, maybe try and bump it up to two or three or six months. Okay. I think if you can pull off six months of total sustainability for you and your family, that's a pretty good base. Okay. And I don't even know if I have that. Let's be real. I have months worth. I don't know if I have six months worth. I'm working on the homesteading thing now so I can potentially get, um, you know, more food and access to other resources, but you know, that takes time. And, you know, again, don't compare yourself to other people, but you get that squared away. Cool. You have multiple locations you can bounce to in the event of a total disaster. Let's say, you know, to the north of your location, there is a city that gets nuked. Maybe you need to have a plan to escape the uh, the byproducts of that happening. Maybe away from the, your northern position. Okay, so maybe have a bug out place. I don't like that because it's like too prepper fucking overused, but have a friend's house or another piece of property or something or a relative's location, you know, 50, 100 miles away and a way to get there and make sure you can do it. If there's an EMP, maybe have an older car, you know, maybe you got, uh, a, you know, a nineties Harley or something, and it's just you and your wife and you can stash all your stuff at that other location beforehand. So you really don't need to put too much on your, on your back and you can take an old bike. That's still going to work. Okay. Maybe, maybe research um, <laughs> all of these things, right? Do what they call as an area study and understand what the dangers are around you and how you can best mitigate those or avoid those. So once you have that done, okay, I think that, again, is more important than the Minuteman stuff because you, regardless of being a Minuteman or not, your family will need to eat and be safe and you will need to eat as well. Okay, so that out of the way, then you need to move on to, if we're going into the Minuteman stuff, the most critical part, and that's going to be your rifle, okay? If you're on a budget, you're new at this, um, it's, it, you know, I don't think it's necessary to go splurge and go all out. Um, I think it's totally fair for you to get a Palmetto State Armory. Um, if, you're, if you're new to this, maybe get one that's already built, um, or, or at least get a complete lower and a complete upper. Probably not the smartest idea for you just to be fucking around and doing everything if you want this to be quote unquote bomb proof or like really sturdy, right? Um, so I would suggest Aero Precision, Palmetto State, you know, get yourself a Smith & Wesson, um, like the cheap one, right? The Sport, it's okay, right? You're new at this. It doesn't matter. You don't need all the coolest rails. You don't need all that stuff. Get you... An AR-15, it can have an A2 handguard. It doesn't even matter. It's going to be tougher for you to mount a light, and I would suggest you get a white light on it. But again, it's not. You can. There are ways around that. Google it or or YouTube it. Right? Flashlight on an old school, you know, AR 
or M16 handguard. There are ways to do it cheap, like, like on the dollar, pennies on the dollar. Um, so get you a rifle. Do you need an optic? Not at first. You don't. You literally don't. Get iron sights. Well, mine, mine is just a flat top, and it has a, a front sight post. Okay, cool. Well, you got one of the sights there. You need a rear sight. Get one that's made out of metal. Can it flip up, or does it always need to be up? I don't know. It doesn't matter. If you're going to only have iron sights, get one that's always up. Don't get a flip up. If you're getting a scope or whatever, you know that's when you need to take into consideration or a red dot if it if you want one that's all the way up or not. My rule of thumb: you just have iron sights only. You don't want flip ups because they're less sturdy. Get them. Get something metal. When you put it on, make sure you're not putting it on backwards. Okay, that's a a classic rookie mistake. I see that all the time. They got the sights on backwards. Doesn't matter if they're fixed type sights like Daniel Defense sights or Scalar Works type, or if they're flip ups. Okay, it's just Please don't be that guy. Research the way they're supposed to go. Get blue Loctite. Loctite or what's called thread locker. When Before you put the screws in um, to mount this, and this goes with all accessories you mount on this rifle, put a little blue Loctite where the threads are and secure it that way. That's going to help it from loosening up or coming off. And because why do you want to do that? Because you want it to be bomb proof. That's your sighting system. You cannot let that come off. That has to remain on there. So make sure it's torqued down and loctited down. Um, you're going to want extra magazines for this. So normally they're going to come with like a PMAG or a GI metal mag. Um, GI meaning government issued. Those are cool, right? You can get PMAGs, I think Gen 2s, with no window, just plain ones, for like 7 to $10, especially on primary arms. You go there and sign up for their newsletter. They got deals all the time. You will get be able to get, you know, five to ten magazines as cheap as you can get them anywhere from that website. Um, I, I don't get paid or any kickbacks from that, so I'm just telling you because I think it's a good a good place to get stuff. Um, so get a bunch of magazines. How many? I don't know. Like at minimum, get six or seven. But I think a fair number. Just get ten magazines. You you get a rifle. Go get ten magazines for it, um, and then double or triple the amount of ammo than the magazines you have. Okay. So if you have 10, 30 round mags, well, how many is that? That's 300 rounds. Maybe get a 900 or a thousand rounds. Okay. If you can't afford that, yeah, get 500, but ammo is going to be critical. doesn't matter if you have all this stuff, even if it's zeroed, if you never shoot it and you don't become good with it, you will have to put rounds down range by the hundreds, if not thousands in order to become somewhat proficient with this at first. And I mean, I'm talking bare minimum, right? A lot of dry firing will help. What's dry firing? Unloading the weapon and just fondling it and, and doing man the maneuvers without any ammunition in a safe environment in your house. Pointed in a safe direction. Okay? ADD, let's turn that ADD back off and go back since we skipped some stuff. So iron sights. Cool. Got iron sights. Well, Krisky, I have the you know money in the budget, and I want to get this optic. I you know I see all these dudes with their red dots, and those are super cool. Or I want this flip down magnifier. Okay, cool. What experience do you have? Well, I have you know none at all, and I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, don't worry about all that shit. How about that? Let me just let me <laughs> let me fix this issue for you. If you don't know what you're doing, you don't need to spend all that much money on it, unless you just have a fuckload of money to blow. In which case, you know, who am I to tell you? Do whatever you need to. Um, but that money potentially could be spent other other places. So if you're going to get a budget optic, I suggest 
uh, again, I like to go with the primary arms. They got two different styles. They have their prisms, which are like fixed power or fixed magnification. You can get them down at one magnification, which is what I like to run on my CQB rifle or close quarter battle rifle, my little short barrel one. Um, they, they make those in three and five magnification fixed. Uh, so prisms, look at those. And then LPVOs, low power variable optics. So it's like a scope and you can twist the back of it and go from like one power to like eight, six, eight, ten, and other things like that. So if you have a bad eyesight or whatever, those are good. So those are some offerings from primary arms I think are pretty cool. Um, and then if you want a red dot and you're on, on the cheap, right, maybe go, you can go hollow sun. They'll get the job done. Or SIG, I think they make a few cool ones. Um, if you're not on a budget, then you don't even need to worry about any of this. Just go look up, you know, ones on Google and the most expensive, coolest ones will come up. You don't need me my help for that. Um, one thing to keep in consideration, it is almost more important uh, to get a good mounting system for a lot of these, especially the budget optics, uh, than it is the optic itself. So like if you get a random hollow sun, if you get a bomb proof mount for it, so like let's say you get a Unity Tactical mount for a hollow sun that has the same profile as like a, an aim point, which is a brand of red dot, but much more expensive. That's going to be a very solid option. Okay? So remember, you can get a cheaper optic, get a solid mount, Loctite all of that, Make sure the screws connecting the optic to the mount are Loctited. Make sure the screw or the clamp that's attaching it to the top Picatinny rail of your rifle is Loctited. Um, and that goes the same if you have a carry handle and you mount one to the top of the carry handle. Make sure the all of it is still Loctited. None of that changes. Another thing, make sure all your screws and pins and everything are good to go on your rifle. I can't even tell you. I mean, I've I literally purchased a brand new inbox Colt M16A4, or technically it's called an AR15A4, um, and I have one of the trigger pins walk out on me repeatedly with like 20 rounds in it. So I and then I had the uh, pistol grip borderline fall off because of the screw that attaches the pistol grip to the lower receiver came undone. It wasn't torqued down properly. So you know what I did. I took it out, put blue Loctite on it, and torqued it the fuck down. And then I put anti-walk or anti-rotation pins in to fix the problem with the trigger pins walking out. Did I want to do that on a Colt? Fuck no. I shouldn't have to do that. But if it happens on a Colt, guess what? It can happen on your budget build Anderson. Okay? And just remember, that's not me trashing your rifle. My, you know, quote-unquote expensive Colt did it. So it can happen to any weapon. Go through with a fine tooth comb and do this on all of them. Um, you also need a light. Here's all I got to say about this. Probably don't get an O-light. Man, you're just jumping on the bandwagon. No, I'm not. I got an O-light. I bought it on sale one year on a Black Friday. I think it was last year or the year before. Mr. Guns and Gear had a good deal on it. I got one. The pressure tape broke the pressure pad, the switch, right? The remote switch, it broke. And the locking mechanism or the mount is complete and utter trash. I personally don't like having, I don't like the rechargeable batteries. I know as a prepper and everything, it makes more sense uh, to a certain degree to be able to have solar power recharging capabilities, multiple recharged 
or charged batteries on you in the field, that's cool. It's just not my flavor. I'd rather have a, a fuckload of batteries ready to go, fresh batteries. So I say avoid Olight. Not to mention the uh, other part. They fucking blow up, allegedly. Let me say that so I don't, you know, the fucking Olight rep listening to this doesn't sue me. I've heard reports that they can, like, explode or they, they combust, meaning they catch fire and stuff like that. Um, my, my main thing is, I, I don't trust it. It does not seem like it's built to the level it needs to be, to be on a, a fighting weapon. Uh, Surefire, Streamlight, Modlight, all those are fine. Streamlight, I would say is your good budget company to go with. Go with a Streamlight, you'll be okay. Like a ProTac, you'll be fine. Um, sling, you need a sling. You know what I say? Probably don't. And again, do whatever you want. I'm just giving you suggestions based on my experience. What's your experience? Uh, we can talk about it some other time. Um, maybe don't get a single point sling, meaning it's only attached to the rifle in one spot and generally has to loop around your neck. Um, that That's somewhat better for like smaller submachine gun type weapons. <coughs> You're going to find the rifle will fucking hit you in the nuts repeatedly, and it's not comfortable for long distances. Also, probably, well, even more so, let me say that, probably don't want to get the uh, three-point sling, which attaches uh, in a method that is not necessary anymore. That technology is outdated. Get a two-point um, for patrolling purposes, if I were to give you my best suggestion, and attach it at the farthest points of the rifle, closest to the muzzle on the end of the barrel and closest to the rear of the buttstock where it attaches or, or it goes into your shoulder pocket. Um, that is going to keep it tightest to you uh, in certain scenarios. Like if you have to go over a wall, or you have to sling it up tight because you're handling a prisoner or, or doing something else. Um, let me think. What else? What else? Make sure you have extra batteries for these optics. Um, and make sure you get this thing zeroed. How do we zero? Go look on YouTube on how to zero weapons. I talk about I think I even have a video where I zero one. Um, but make sure it's zeroed iron sights and your your regular sight. Then go out and then do drills with it. So what they call ready-ups. Go out and just get comfortable shooting it. Know where, where your holds are, meaning based on the zero you have, well, let's say you zero it at 50 meters, and then it's going to be good out at, what, 300? Or no, it's, it's 50, 200. Yeah, I think that's right. So is it? I may be speaking, I may be wrong here, but off the top of my head, I think it's 5,300 or 5,200, 2,500, 300. Yeah. So let's say you, you zero to 50 with a 5.56 and you got a 16 inch barrel. Um, that's going to hit on the same point, more or less, when you are aiming at 300. Okay. So what happens when you're aiming at, at 10 or at 150? Well, you need to go out and shoot those very distances so you understand, hey, I have to hold a little a little high here or a little low here. Um, if that's confusing for you, the podcast is not the best place to digest and understand why that is. YouTube is. Go look at some videos and they talk about the, the trajectory of the bullet and then how that lines up with the uh, optic you have on top or your sighting system. So probably probably good to go there, right? You got your rifle. Oh, a few things, just a few notes. Um, I would avoid any colored parts on there. Like 
anodizing. A lot of people want to have like red shit on there for some reason. Probably would avoid that. That's like a pro. Oh, excuse me, not a pro. The exact opposite. That's like an obvious rookie move. Um, don't get a muzzle brake, maybe a flash hider. Why not a muzzle brake? Because that's going to make it a more violent, loud, um, obvious shooting experience. And in a tactical situation, having a fucking fireball come out the end of your rifle is not necessarily the best way to hide your position. Okay, and before we move on to sidearms, um, let's talk about what kind of, of rifle. I suggest generally broad stroking it an AR-15. <laughs> I did say stroking it, but broadly. Remember, broadly, not uh, vigorously. Um, golly, I'm a fucking child sometimes. So I like 5.56 five, um, AR-15s or 223 Wild. Well, what does that even fucking mean? It means don't get one in 223 only. I don't know if they make those or not, but 223 will not fire 556. And you want the ability to run 556, which is the NATO equivalent of 223, more or less. Um, some of the nerds will email me telling me I'm wrong in there, but I don't care. Uh, it might not be superior ballistically, but in my opinion, it's superior logistically. Ooh, I'm going to start running with that one. That's a good one. Um, as compared to what? I don't know. Uh, an AK-47, an AK-74, a battle rifle, like an AUG or some shit like that. Um, mainly due to two reasons. The ammo availability in the United States for 5.56, the pricing associated with that, and the magazine selection and part selection. So if your rifle fucks up or is broken... You can go to most gun stores or pawn shops that sell guns, and they're going to have accessories and parts for them. Springs, buffer tubes, fucking bolt carrier groups and bolts, stuff like that. They're also going to have, you know, think of all the different kinds of magazines and brands of AR-15 magazines. Can't even name them all, right? But there's enough that so many of them work and are available for cheap. It's almost like, why, why, why fuck with the system? We got a system in place, and it appears to be 9mm Glocks and AR-15s and 5.56, okay? Yeah, a battle rifle in 308 is going to kill you faster, probably. It's also going to be heavier, more expensive, um, and harder to find parts for if it goes down. I'm not saying you can't do it. You absolutely can do it, and a lot of dudes do. But my my opinion here is just get you a 5.56 AR-15. Um, Nobody's going to scoff at you if you roll up with a with an AK-74 or 47 or something like that, though. You show up with a G3, people are going to be asking you about it. They're not going to be scoffing at you. Just know, if you can't if you can't go and do the things with it without having to stop because your arms are, are tired and you're sweating too much, then, you know, I personally would roast you until you reevaluated your life because you're putting everyone at risk because you thought you had to be cool and get a battle rifle when a fucking AR-15 would have more than sufficed. Remember, fighting is the least amount of time uh, in an... How the fuck do I say this? I'm, you know, I am on a podcast now. We're not re-recording this. Uh, the majority of your time is not fighting. The majority of your time in this gig is going to be walking around and doing logistical tasks and just day-to-day -day stuff. It's going to be boring. Okay? So... That has to be taken into account. I know, yeah, you want to train the way you fight and everything, but like, 
Just be realistic with your capabilities and what you think is going to happen. Okay, moving on to sidearms. Sidearms, probably not the take you want to hear from me, but this is the one that I'm going to give you because it's the truth, or at least the truth as I understand it. Um, don't even fucking worry about a pistol as, as a new guy for your loadout. Meaning, if you're going to go do Minuteman stuff and you got a few dudes you're going to go hang out with and train, and you're new to that, Odds are you're somewhat new to handgun stuff, or you maybe you've had a handgun or a concealed carry, but you never did the rifle thing. That, not to say there's no carryover, but that's common. And seeing seeing that, I would suggest focus on the rifle and for rifle activities for Minuteman patrolling stuff. And then use the pistol for other activities. Separate them, at least at first, because it's two separate skills. Um, the pistol, getting good with your pistol will help you be a better rifle shot. And it will help you all across the board. It does not transverse. Um, I think Larry Vickers and Ken Hackathorn talked about that. It doesn't quite go the same way rifle to pistol. But pistol does help you with rifle. Um, why, why do I say keep them separate, though? Because in a rifle gunfight with infantry troops, um, a pistol is virtually fucking useless. Because for one, the distances you're going to be at, a pistol is going to be very hard to even make hits if they're even going to be effective if you hit the target at that distance. Secondly, um, you know, you're probably and ideally not doing this alone if the time god for you know help us ever comes you will have other guys around you so the propensity for you to need to transition to that pistol in a traditional fight right not talking cqb if you don't understand what that is close quarters about go look at my recent youtube video i kind of give you the down and dirty of what i think about all that in regards to you know minuteman and and civilians caught up or a militia type caught up in a war or a conflict um, I think you will probably have more time than, than will be needed for you to have to feel obligated to bring out a pistol instead of reload your main rifle. Um, well, well hey, I plan on doing CQB. Well, <laughs> why are you listening to this on the basics of all this shit, right? Crawl, then walk, then run. At first, let's crawl. Let's worry about getting good with the rifle, having you know, our mindset of how to fight with a rifle, which is different in some ways than how to fight with a pistol. Not all the time. I mean, the, the principles are similar, but it's a team effort being a rifleman and relying on those team members. You're not going to be going to the pistol. The pistol, I think, is ideal for covert, concealed stuff. And then also, if you're going to do close quarters CQB, um, again, close quarters battle. You want to have that ability to go to another weapon immediately because you don't have the t uh, the distance, the hundreds or thousands of meters. It's inside of rooms. So you don't have the ability to clear that malfunction right away. More than likely, you would need to go to another firearm. Or if you get pinned up against the wall or any number of things, you want that sidearm. But as a new guy or somebody just sort of, you know, looking into this for the first time, don't even worry about that. Don't worry about what the cool guys have with their thigh, you know, thigh straps and battle belts and, you know, optics on their handguns and suppressors on their short barrel rifles and lasers. You don't even need to fucking worry about that. Yeah, that looks cool, but people forget and they try to go straight to being a Navy SEAL. And it's like, you forgot 
how to do basic rifle marksmanship, my guy. Like you can't, it doesn't work that way. That's why these guys take years and years to train because it takes six months to a year to get them to be a regular combat arms capable individual. Then take that same individual and train them to an extremely high standard with other expert level skills in there. And that's what they have to build upon. You can't just be like, yo, I'm Jerry the electrician. I'm going to be a Navy SEAL tomorrow. No, my guy, you don't even understand how to tie down your optic. And not trying to send you guys back to the YouTube, uh, but I did post that on my community tab and it's over on my Instagram. So go look at tie downs. That's a thing I did skip over. You need tie downs um, for your sensitive items. What are sensitive items, Krisky? Well, if you have night vision, if you have a GPS, if you don't have a GPS and only have a compass, that compass is a fucking sensitive item, homie. Uh, the lights on your rifle, the optics, okay? That sort of stuff. So moving on from pistols, um, really we get into the meat and potatoes of kit selection, if you will. Um, so you got weapon selections, one thing, kit is a whole nother. I feel like the common denominator is you want to be able to have ammunition and medical to, you know, to make holes in people and to plug holes in yourself and your friends. That's the priority of the kit. Uh, you also have other secondary priorities, which is like sustainment, so living, eating, um, and then you have like mission critical equipment. And some would say, you know, this might fall in a different category, but like land navigation equipment, so maps, compasses, GPS, um, and then remember like all the other stuff, MREs, meals ready to eat, or food um, that you have with you, water, a sleeping system, shelter, uh, extra boots and socks, cold weather gear, wet weather gear, signaling, communication equipment, weapons maintenance equipment, Entrenching equipment, meaning, you know, and this goes back to the philosophy uh, of the Minuteman itself, but what happens if you get out to where you're going and you realize you need to dig a fighting position? Well, for one, you better know how to do it. For two, you better have the equipment and time to do it. So if you don't have all that stuff with you, you're not going to be good to go. Um, so the most critical part of this is the ammunition holding uh, gear. So I think the... A lot of people agree, some won't, and I don't care. The The most basic, easiest, out of the box, you know, easy button here, I guess I should say, is a chest rig. Easy button is a chest rig. Well, what kind of chest rig? I, I want a jungle kit. I want a velocity system jungle kit. Well, I do too. Still do. Still want one. A little expensive. And you don't know what you like or don't like. More, you know, odds are. Yeah, you could luck out and get a, hit a home run the first you know a bat you get and everything you have works perfectly and you love it and don't want any changes but as i think hop would say on on youtube i have restless ar syndrome and that goes for my kit as well i'm a tinkerer okay so i'll go out and i'll get you know let's say i have a chest rig and this pack or rucksack i.e like a fucking big backpack okay that can support a lot of weight um, and uh, well, it rubs this way weird. So I want to change this strap or move this. 
Oh, well, that made it worse. Oh, well, maybe I need to do something else. Maybe I want to wear this bell kit. Oh, so I, well, maybe the cheapest way into that is I get an old Alice Systems LDE, the load-bearing equipment, belt and suspenders, and I add pouches to it. Oh, well, that doesn't work with my pack, because my pack is this big monstrosity of a molly ruck, and it just, oh, fuck, my butt pack, and everything. So, again, to take this down to the least common denominator, or let's say the least, most common denominator, I think a chest rig will work. Why? Because for the purposes of this, we're not really too focused on a pistol. So we're in that battle belt, war belt, is not necessary. You might actually find that you prefer your hips to be free, depending on what you're doing. Um, so that with the chest rig, that allows you, when worn properly, you can still wear the padded waist strap of a rucksack or large mountaineering bag, if you will. Sorry, I had to go inside. Fucking burned too loud up there. Um, so with the chest rig, you can still use the waist strap. And if you have a very heavy bag, that's going to be something you want to wear. Um, also, when worn properly, you will still have a little bit of room on your sternum um, to connect the chest strap of the bag to keep it secure. So I think the chest rig is a very solid option. What do I think? You should get probably not a micro chest rig, kind of defeats the purpose here. Um, I like something that can hold doubles, meaning two magazines at minimum per pouch. So if you, I, I say get a triple or a quadruple. So that way you can hold six or eight magazines. Yeah, some make more, but I think it's sort of unnecessary. There's a limited return. Um, because at some point, like you would have had enough time to just reach in your bag if you're going through that many. Not every time, but a majority of the time. Um, so I think if you get one that can hold six or eight, it almost, yeah, it can have some general purpose pouches on the side or whatever. You might want a dangler or like a kangaroo looking pouch underneath the center of you. It's up to you, right? The biggest thing is be able to hold six or eight mags. And the cool part about that is you can hold less than that. So you don't have to always hold six or eight. You can hold three or four and do singles in them if you, for some reason, want to hold less. You can also empty one of them out and put a radio in it when they're the doubles. So you could run, if you have one that holds eight, you could run six, have it heavy on your non-dominant side, So, because that's like, if I'm right-handed, I'm gonna do the reloads with my left hand, so maybe I want all the ammo you know, closer to my left-hand side, and if I have a radio and I need to put it in a pouch, maybe I put it in the farthest right side. Or maybe I do have a pistol and I'm somewhat confident with it, and I don't wanna wear a belt mounted holster. I can throw it in one of the pouches on the chest rig. Okay? Maybe I don't load it with one in the chamber if it's a, a Glock with no external safety on it. Um, maybe that's not the smartest thing. Maybe I just clear the tube, pull the trigger so it's empty, and then throw a magazine in it and then put it in there if you're putting that in there. Okay? Um, <coughs> that is, again, a little bit next level. And for those of you who are like, that's not next level. That should be basic. No, it is not. Most people don't understand the radio communication. Most people, and I'm saying, be real, most people would get themselves killed because they would give away their position if they were using a radio, or they wouldn't understand how to even connect in the first place. Or they're putting a balfang on the front part of their chest rig, and the first bounding movement they do and they go in the prone, it shatters into a thousand pieces. So, yes, communication is important, but the average lowest level Minuteman, that's not my priority. They can use hand and arm signals. 
okay? Um, they're going to need to be with somebody who knows a little bit more and is organizing people. So maybe that other leader or the other people with more experience have the combo. But combo is, I'm going to say this, it's a secondary level skill. The primary level skill needs to be shoot, move, and communicate. And I don't mean communicate on ham radios. I mean like person to person in the middle of a fight. Um, and again, that with the handgun, handguns are cool too, but worry about concealed carry and self-defense with the handgun at first, okay? It is important for you to have, I advise the first gun, you know, as an adult, if you, if you get a first gun, maybe a Glock 19 or something like that, because it's the most versatile. But remember, we're talking Minuteman specific. Um, and if you're talking about, I'm on a budget or I don't have any guns yet, or what's the first one I get, go with the rifle first, if this is your priority right now. But just, again, pistol, sidearm stuff, I would say is a secondary or tertiary level skill. Radios is a secondary level skill. Reloading your rifle and being able to hit your targets accurately, consistently is a primary level skill. You have to be able to do that. Everyone has to show up with that. Everyone doesn't have to show up with a hammer radio and a clock. Everyone better show up with a rifle and an ammunition feeding ability and carrying ability. Um, so what, what should not, what, what, what should we be avoiding? We should be avoiding putting a fuckload of stuff on this. Remember, less is more. And one of the things you want to do in your training, uh, LARPing, if you will, one of, the, one of the reasons we quote unquote LARP around, um, go out with all of our gear on, is to find the weak spots, is to find the points that are uncomfortable. Because, you know, th that's the, one of the funny things you'll see is all these dudes talking about their kit. And it's like, I can tell by looking at the kit, you, I don't even have to know anything else. You ain't never fucking walked more than a half a mile in that. Because if you were, you would have taken half that shit off, right? Or that interference, there's no way that, you know, knife doesn't interfere with your pack when it's worn that way on your fucking chest rig. There's no way. Okay? So... Again, this is, the, what is the common denominator? Less is more. When you go out into the woods, find, this, you're gonna find a lot of things you like and don't like, but the biggest thing you're gonna find is you're carrying too much shit you don't need. Um, so you'll realize, oh man, maybe I don't need this fork and the spoon together. Maybe I don't need all this other shit in this food packaging, right? Let's say you just buy a bunch of MREs and you're ready to eat like a, a box of them. Oh, you have a bunch of boxes of them from the military you purchased, and then you put them all on your gear. Maybe you realize, holy fuck, I only need half of what's in the MRE. I could ditch half of the weight of each MRE and that space in my bag if I just go out and realize, hey, I don't need this shit anymore. Or I'm never... or. Like, this is overkill for this situation. Or I can suffer this much. I can't suffer that much. So it is worth the wait for me to bring the whole sleeping bag as opposed to me maybe only bringing a ranger roll. What's a ranger roll? It's a poncho. Wet weather, a big wet weather blanket, more or less. Like, a rain suit material. A poncho liner, which is like a wooby, like a blanket. And that's about it. Like, you can put a tarp in there. <laughs> you can put, um, like, an emergency space blanket. You can put a wool blanket to keep you warmer. But, like, it's just that small. And normally, you keep that in, like, your butt pack 
of your Alice kit or in your rucksack somewhere accessible and it's like throw that around you or maybe have that inside of a bivy bag. What's a bivy bag? It's basically like a, a rainproof, zip, completely zip up sleeping bag, but it's just, it's not for warmth. It's just for weather and wind and rain. So one, that's an infantry thing I learned. I'm not going to like just having the, the uh, ranger roll. I want something else, but I, I don't always need the sleep system. A lot of the time, the ranger roll inside of the uh, bivy bag is all I need. It keeps the rain and the bugs and the wet uh, leaves and the wind off of me, and then I have just enough warmth inside. And then think of all the space and weight I save not having to bring a full sleeping bag. But sometimes I need that fucking sleeping bag. And I only know that because there's been a few nights I've been cold as shit and didn't sleep because I was like, man, I definitely thought I was going to be warm enough when I wasn't. But then that goes into what what you're even doing in the first place. What is the Minuteman, you know, what is their job? Historically, it was like to be ready within a, mo a minute's notice and have their gear on and ready to go. Think of them as a QRF. A lot of these guys who call themselves Minutemen, and I would say even myself included, sometimes we might not even be able to, to, to muster up what is needed of a Minuteman. Why? Because we have families and obligations. So I think the true Minuteman in the most true sense of the word, is going to do is going to be a guy similar to how I am, but maybe doesn't even have a family, um, or maybe just has like a wife or a girlfriend that can go and tag along. But they don't have any. I don't want to say. I don't mean this derogatory, but they don't have baggage, right? Because as a father or as a husband, maybe your first inclination shouldn't be to up and leave your family. It should be to hey, hungry out and protect them. But what if you don't have that? Maybe you feel obligated to stand up and do what is necessary. I'm not, again, this is not the place for me to tell you why and when to do that. You know, use your common sense. Um, but I, I look at us as Minutemen as QRF. There are certain situations where I would absolutely do that because I know my family would be safe based on the scenario. Some scenarios, totally not going to leave them. 100% not. <clears throat> so if we leave them, or, or, you know, you don't have a family, you're just a minute man, single, you know, 23-year-old guy. Um, what, what do you need? Well, we already talked about it a little bit. Sustainment, you need to be able to live out in the woods or wherever your AO area of operation. Um, I don't, not that you're going to be operating, but like the place you're going to be in when, when you need all that stuff, right? Are you going to be in the desert? Are you going to be in the woods? Are you going to be warm weather, cold weather? You know what I'm getting at? That dictates, and the length in which you stay out there is going to dictate a lot of this. Probably going to be uncertain. So you're going to want to over uh, pack, but over pack what you have to. Don't take the bullshit. Remember, might want to take more ammo. So that's why I said have more magazines than you can probably fit on your carrier. I think 10's a, a, a solid base number. I think more realistically, you need like 50. And you can keep 20-ish um, on you. Uh, so fill, max out your pack, or your, uh, excuse me, max out your chest rig. Uh, keep one in the weapon. So let's say you have a six banger on your chest. Okay, so you got six magazines on your chest, one in the gun. So you need to have seven outside and then have the rest, let's say have 13 more loaded in your bag. That's what I would take 
like when we would, if you go out and do something. That's not even including what I think you would need to bring with you, because remember, you're your own logistics. If you, have, if you feel obligated to act as a QRF and put all your sleeping bag, a change of camis, camouflage, right? On top of what you're already wearing, maybe another set of boots, a bunch of socks, some toilet paper, some, you know, maybe six MREs, seven MREs, 13 extra magazines, your, again, I think I might have said it, but your sleeping system, all the water you need, maybe some water filtration ability so that if you run out of water, you can get more. Um, and then you need to have all the ammo that you could potentially need if you get into multiple engagements. So maybe you have another 500 rounds in a box or, or you know, in that ruck. This is not a tactical ruck. This is like, hey, ruck, I mean rucksack. So a military pack that you'd wear on your back, on your back that has like a frame. Because you could potentially load this bitch out to like 90 or 100 pounds. I say that, but I also understand you're not going to be able to carry fucking 90 or 100 pounds. I mean, some of you are. And a lot of people are going to be like, that's outrageous. No, it is not. It is outrageous to assume you would be able to carry that weight if you don't do it all the time. And it is outrageous to assume you'd be going out operationally and being battle efficient with that much weight. But dudes have done it. Literally, there are recon guys and the Ranger Regimental Ranger or Ranger Regimental Reconnaissance Company. Um, and they talk about it openly. They would go on patrols with over 100 pounds in their life. Okay? So that really does happen. For this circumstance, you're not going to go fight in the ruck, optimally. Uh, you would go and take your ruck to a staging point, to a collection point. And you would meet other people. Hopefully, they would have some logistics in place. And you would be like, hey, I didn't need to bring all this shit. But if they don't, you're going to be happy you have it. And the one thing you're going to be really happy you have is ammunition. Because you don't want to fucking run out of ammunition. Um, and just think of how fast you can dump through 100 or, or so rounds. Um, especially if, if you're in an overwhelming fight. You could, it happens very easily. So... If you only take what's on your chest rig, and maybe a few extra, what happens when you're out there longer than expected to get into multiple engagements over a period of weeks? You know, that's gonna be a bad spot for you to be in. Um, so we wanna have extra ammo when we go, and you wanna have like an e-tool or a foldable shovel and a trenching tool that you keep with it. I would also suggest bring some tarps. Also maybe, for this purpose, bring a hammock, like a small string up hammock. But it's for when you're in the rear, uh, or what they say is rear detachment, like not on the front lines. Um, because maybe you're in somebody's outbuilding, um, or maybe you know you have the ability to run it in between some, in between some trees in a non-tactical environment. That might be just a comfort item. But you're limited on how much food, water, and ammo you have. So that is going to determine the size bag you need. Um, some base suggestions. I know the two I, I run are, it's a crossfire. So look, search for crossfire bags. Those are pretty good. They're a little bit pricey. For cheaper, and they're, they're becoming harder to find, get an Alice pack with a frame. I suggest a medium Alice pack with frame. Um, that will probably run you 100 to 150 bucks for the whole thing if, you, if you're lucky. 
Just be weary if you get it on eBay and stuff. Make sure you get one that's like the shit isn't ripped um, or, you know, the frame isn't cracked and stuff like that. Hit or miss, you know, best probably to go to a surplus store, a military surplus store in your area so you can lay eyes on it in person. Maybe even have the person behind the register assemble it for you because it's somewhat confusing if you don't know about like how to do that and they're going to know how to do it because they do it all the time. Also for a budget uh, minded individual, maybe get a Molly ruck. Um, so that's like going to have like a plastic frame. It's going to be the army one. And again, this isn't the coolest, but the, the UCP, I think it's called uh, universal camouflage pattern or as we call them ACUs, army camouflage pattern, the gray digital ones. That's not, that's not cool looking. Okay. For a lot of people, I think it has its own retro value and aesthetic, but in real life combat situations, it's not ideal, but for the money, you can get a Molly Ruck and a frame for pretty cheap and it will still work. I've carried, you know, high eighties, you know, 87, 88 pounds in that for 10, 15 miles, or maybe not 15, for about 10 miles uh, on more than a few occasions. So it's not ideal, but it works uh, price wise. Um, at bare fucking minimum, and this is going to be like, uh, we might, you, you might not get the best look, but it's going to be better than not having anything. Get you a fucking backpack in a neutral color um, and have that on you and have some stuff in there. You better have a fucking bag that goes on your shoulders that you can carry stuff. And it better not be so cheap that as soon as you put 20 pounds in it, the straps rip off. Okay? That's the bare fucking minimum. So what's the cheapest we can get into this? Uh, probably like, uh, you know, I, I laughed when I saw it, but it's like, they used to sell Jansports at Target stuff. Now they're selling bags and it's called Tran or Trans, right? So they're selling tranny bags. So get you a tranny bag from Target for fucking $18 in green or black or brown or tan, okay? And then get you a Chai Com, Chinese communist, uh, chest rig for 25 or 30 dollars on ebay get you some multi-cam you know people say it's like the fed color like the army and a lot of feds and stuff they wear uh multi-cam but it's cheap right now um so you can go on there and get some pretty cheap multi-cam on ebay if you don't have any camouflage okay because it works it just works uh just get you some regular army issued stuff that people have for sale in there. The, size, the cool thing is about this, once you realize what size you are in military camouflage, it more or less is across the board for different you know, branches and then styles. So I know I wear medium regular tops and medium short pants. I can get anything in any camo that's, that has an NSN number, uh, what is it, national stock number? I think that's what it stands for. Um, and it's like, it, that means it's been issued to the military at some point. So knowing that, Find your size and then just search eBay or like Sportsman's Guide, which is a website with surplus gear and get you some cool camouflage. Um, also, finding the right boots is gonna be helpful. I suggest military style lace-up boots, taller, um, if you don't know any better or you don't have any other better options. Why? Because if you get into heavy mud and bad weather, you go through swamps and stuff like that, having them lace up that high is going to be helpful for them not getting the vacuum sucked off of your fucking feet. Um, and it's just better 
for not rolling your ankles um, and for wearing for long, extremely long distances with a lot of weight on your back. Uh, and they're pretty cheap. Just understand, you might want to go on the size of getting them smaller for boots uh, because they will wear in over time and they will loosen up. So it's better for them to be a little snug at first. Uh, unless you're like seven, 16 or 17 listening to this, in which case I don't fucking know because your feet might not have stopped growing. Um, one thing to avoid is like Gore-Tex waterproof winter boots, unless you know for a fact you need those based on your environment and climate. Um, a lot of guys will fuck that up. A lot of guys will fuck it up and be like, I need waterproof ones because I'm going to, you know, I might get in a puddle or like a swamp or something. Now, your feet are going to fucking uh, cheddar cheese, cottage cheese up, right? Because they're so fucking sweaty and inside of this humid environment of your boot and you're going to get trench foot like a dumb bitch and you're never going to have got your foot submersed in water either. And in worst case, if you do submerge your foot in water, it's not going to be able to get out. So avoid those unless you are in very, very cold environments and you... You know, you know what you're doing, okay? Um, what else? Headgear and gloves and eye pro and ear pro. Boonie hats are nice to keep the sun off you. It helps a little bit to break up your silhouette. Um, I think it's always good to have a boonie cap and like a watch cap or, you know, like a fleece, just a simple fleece knit cap that covers your ears for cold. Those are two things that I have in all my bags all the time is... Uh, it's like a, a BDU, like an, an old woodland green uh, boonie or like a multicam boonie just because they're in excess at stores and they're so cheap. And then a black or tan or green fleece cap because you're always going to need one of those um, if you find yourself without a hat out doing the shit. Um, do I need a helmet? Do I need body armor and stuff? Uh, I would say probably don't worry about it. Um, for a multitude of reasons, a multitude of reasons, but the biggest is uh, maneuverability and the cost associated with it. Like, the only time I really advise people to wear body armor and stuff like that is if they're knowingly going in to do CQB, which I don't recommend, or if they're going to try to like escape the city or be in a vehicle for some purpose. And so if you're in a vehicle, I suggest getting side plates because most people don't, they sit facing forward or rear, which means the people are going to be generally shooting at you from the side. Um, not always, but a lot of the time from the side as you drive by. Um, and you want, you know, what's worse, getting hit in one lung straight up or straight, you know, forward and back or getting hit in both lungs because you took one bullet from the side. That's way worse. That's a kill shot. Um, not to say the other one isn't, but higher propensity of that happening when you're in a vehicle. So, and vehicles are bullet magnets, right? Let's say there's a disaster or something and people aren't driving around in vehicles because there's an EMP or there's no more gas. And then they see you and your fucking homies rolling up and, you know, they haven't heard a vehicle come by in weeks and people are dying all around them and they're desperate and their kids are starving. Maybe they try to shoot at it. Maybe them in their neighborhood fucking band of thieves try to shoot at you from the side as you drive through. That's why you want those side, uh, side armor plates. But, you know, 
if you're in the city, even in that, you, I would want something I could hide because it's going to be a lot of people around. It's not like you can just bounce and hide in the wood line and skirt the roads in the city. You might have to just blend in with people. So you want something low profile that you can maybe wear incognito more or less. Uh, but even at that, that's not doing the Minuteman activity. That's bouncing the fuck out of the city, getting to a safe location. Um, so Minuteman stuff, I think maneuverability and speed is more critical, especially because if you really look at the, the type of conflict that we could be in, hypothetically, right, I'm just, I'm just wargaming things here. It really seems like newer weapons, um, body armor defeating rounds of things will be used. So it's almost like, besides the flak and the, you know, the shrapnel aspect of things, I would say, in the vehicle, right, or inside buildings, that's when you need it. Outside of that, if the plate's not gonna stop the bullet, or if it's such an overwhelming thing that you're gonna have to literally be like an insurgent pilot, insurgent or guerrilla style combatant, where you hit and then blend back into society. Well, are you gonna be able to blend back into society when you're carrying out body armor plates and everything? No, you're gonna to wanna to have like a small chest rig um, and maybe some loose fitting camouflage you can wear civilian clothes underneath and have a small, you know, you know jam sport or tranny bag, if you will, if you know, we're joking. Um, and you just throw all your shit in there. Are you gonna be able to throw your body armor in there? Probably not, okay? So maybe you have just the right size weapon break it down so when, when it's in half it fits in the bag you got your little chest rig chai pump chest rig or small chest rig and you know some old woodland camouflage and you just wear jeans and a t-shirt on underneath and have a different hat so that when all the shit's over everything goes in the bag you can throw the bag somewhere or just keep it on and bring back to society however you're able to do that i know that's that's, I'm skipping over so many things. I'm making that sound simple and easy, and it's not. But that's somewhat the gist and the cards we might be dealt. So, take all that into consideration. Um, also, I like the balaclavas or face coverings. Um, gloves are good because you do not want your hands to get all fucked up because you touched a hot barrel or... You know, you had to go ham on somebody and now your knuckles are all jacked up or there's thorns or whatever. And then not to mention your hands shine, your skin shines. Um, you want to have clear eye pro to wear at night. At minimum, I suggest you have clear eye protection. Um, it was an ANZI, is it 84 or 87? I think something like that. It has to say a number on the inside and have... ANSI or ANSI um, certification in order for it to be like rated um, to help protect your eyes. So look into that. Um, why do I say clear at the minimum? Because you can't wear dark during nighttime um, and you want to have it. Also ear protection at minimum. Have some foamies, some little cheap, you know, five cent foam earplugs and, and have them kind of sashed everywhere because you know, it's going to get fucking loud and you don't always have to have the clear back stuff. Okay. You don't have to have the contacts or, or anything like that. The, you know, other ear protection will work. It's not ideal, but it'll fucking work. Um, 
I think on that note, maybe some camo, uh, like sticks, some face paint, that will help. That will make it a little bit more difficult to blend back into society though. So that's where that balaclava or face covering will help. Um, I like the balaclava or like a ski mask because then it really does cover up the shiny parts. So your forehead, your nose, your chin, your cheeks, um, as well as it disguises your identity. So it wouldn't really help you. Let's say you have some distinguishing fucking face tattoo, like you're Mike Tyson, right? Uh, you're white Mike Tyson. So they can see the face tattoo at distance. And then you guys get in a little skirmish and you and your homies blend back into the society and you got to go through a checkpoint. Well, their radios travel faster than you on your bicycle trying to escape. So when you have all your shit in your backpack and you're riding your bicycle through the next checkpoint and everyone has a bolo or be on the lookout for a dude, a white dude with a face tattoo. And then they see you and they're like, why is, why is he so sweaty and, and everything? And they look, what's in the bag? And you got your bag full of tricks and then you're done, son. So cover that up. Um, cover your face up, cover your shining up, have all of this over on YouTube, but this is just something you might want to keep on your kit. All right. And lastly, this brings us to skills and things you should know. Um, I feel like we talk about this at length on YouTube and, you know, and even in season one on this podcast, we mentioned it, but some bare bones things you need to understand. And I'm not gonna tell you how to do this. I have in other places and there's other people that have and you can search it. Um, but look, these are the things at minimum you need to understand how to do. Uh, find, fix, and finish your enemy in a gunfight. Uh, the basics of that, right? So finding, determining where they are, engaging them to the point where they're hiding behind something and they're stationary, right? Because they, they can't get a shot off on you or you're firing faster than them more accurately. And then you can maneuver on them, right? Like charge them or move left laterally or right laterally and flank them to where they're, the thing that they're hiding behind, they're not able to hide behind it as well and you can hit them, meaning finish. So what is that? That's the civilian easy way to, to say, shoot, move, and communicate. Um, that The most base thing we're doing here is finding people, fixing them in place by shooting at them, and then maneuvering on them and destroying and finishing them. So, however you find the ability and way to practice that, do it. Um, also, patrolling. The basics of infantrymen hand and arm signals. The basics of formations in patrolling. Think wedge, file, that sort of thing. Uh, staggered column. You need to understand how to bound, both forward and backward. So like bounding forward would mean, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot while you rush forward in two to three second rushes. Huh? Meaning, I shoot, hey, give me covering fire, bang, 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 and then you, running forward, let's say 20 feet to the next tree, you get up, you run for a couple of seconds, just enough for them to see you before they can aim on you and shoot, and then you're down behind cover. Then you return fire, and you start shooting, giving me covering fire, and I do the same thing. And we kind of do that back and forth, and we you know change it up so they don't know who to expect next, 
and we're bounding forward. We're moving towards them under fire. That's how you do it. The same thing can be done in reverse. You've probably seen it on National Geographic's videos of Navy SEALs peeling back, one shooting on full auto, then he taps the guy on the shoulder, runs back, and he starts firing. The guy that was firing hears that, okay, now bullets are flying, I'm safe to go back. And they do that back to a boat in a swamp or something. And then the SWIFT dudes take off at 100 miles an hour on the glass water, and they're out with uh, mini guns blazing. It's pretty cool. That's bounding. They're just, well, it's called appeal, right? But it's the same concept in reverse. Um, so you need to understand how to do that. That's more or less uh, a modified retreat, okay? Or a tactical withdrawal, to be, to be exact. Um, I would understand ambushing techniques, both being ambushed, like reacting to that, and ambushing other individuals. I would understand what salute reports are, meaning reconnaissance, like, hey, let's go out and set up what's called an LPOP, a listening post observation post. Some would call it a hide. Right? That's another term um, specifically for the uh, spot in which you are hiding or setting up that LPOP. So understand how maybe to set up an LPOP, what it is, how it relates to um, the formations, right? Or like the wedge. So we move in our wedge formation up to, let's say, a route, uh, excuse me, an objective rally point or our, let's say, a patrol base. Um, you'd want to set up somewhat of an LPOP. In the process of doing that, again, we talked about this on YouTube, not to beat a dead horse, uh, but you move, let's say you move into your patrol base, which is your position you will be remaining for, uh, I don't want to say an extended period of time, but like more than a couple of hours. So pr probably like overnight. So you move into your patrol base, which is just y'all hanging out, and wherever you are in a defensive perimeter, with the comms and the leadership in the middle, that way you can defend off an attack and some guys can sleep or do whatever they have to do while the rest are on security, okay? So what do we have there? We would like to probably have LPOPs out on our flanks, a couple man teams out, you know, 50 or 100 meters out to our sides or our forward position. That way, they can notify us in the early warnings if there's an enemy attack coming or there's an enemy patrol or something like that. So you have to understand, if you, to even understand what that is, you have to know why it would be there. You have to understand how to make that hide setup, how to communicate back to the group safely. What happens if we see them? Do we shoot them? Do we call back? What, you know, there's so many variables. This is not something you do overnight. This is, you have, it takes months and months to train individuals how to learn this stuff professionally, okay? So assuming you, the guy who works at, you know, Sonny's Barbecue, and you're gonna learn this one hour every night when you get off work, it's gonna take a while. So don't get upset when you don't understand everything and, and you get frustrated because it seems overwhelming and you're drinking from a fire hose and you're missing a lot. It's okay. Why do you think I started off the episode with the clay pots? You're gonna fuck it up. You're gonna be a noob. It's okay. You're gonna ask questions that seem stupid. It's okay. That's part of the learning curve. You're gonna realize three or four months after you buy something, fuck, I should have bought this. That's okay. That's normal. That's how it works. All of us go through it. Um, so, a few other details. You know, ADD, again, turn it back off, Chris. You wanna know the LPOP, the listening post observation post, how to set that up, how that pertains to 
the larger organization of what you're doing. Um, it would behoove you to understand setting up fighting positions. So a ranger grave or um, a two-man fighting position or a trench. Go look up those on YouTube. Find yourself a ranger handbook or a special forces tactics handbook and read it and keep it on you. Like keep it in your pack. Okay, so like, where do I, I'm done reading it, what do I do now? It's on my bookshelf. Maybe don't do that. Put it in the bag that you're gonna bring with you so when you're off time, you can be reading that or using that as uh, a guide on the spot if you forget how to do this certain tactic or procedure and you're like, hey, we're planning this, refer back to the handbook if you don't know. Because none of us were veterans, but we got the fucking handbook, okay, cool. That's your, that's your you know, secret weapon. Um, yeah, that's about it. Just remember, we're all in this together. There are different levels of this. Some people will appear to be cringy, okay? Their heart is in the right spot. Remember, that is the most important thing here. We want people who are here for the right reasons, okay? They will self-select out or they will be, it will be obvious who's you know, a plant or who should not be with us. Um, and it's okay, everyone can't be a Minuteman. Everyone can't be that guy. Own it. If you're better suited to do something else, be the best fucking dude at that job and make it so critical that everyone knows, hey, if we need, like for example, you work at fucking the barbecue place. Well, guess what? It sure would be nice to have the barbecue dude helping out at the bivouac to sound stupid, right? The, uh, the campsite where every, all the Minutemen are forming up. It'd be nice if the barbecue dude showed up with a morale booster and made everybody fucking dinner so they didn't have to eat MREs the first night out. Okay? That's how you fucking do it. You don't have to be the dude being used as cannon fodder against, you know, <laughs> the invading force known as us, the Minutemen. Okay? And we all, and knowing that this is not a battle that is like, um, whatever's coming, the odds are not going to be in our favor. And we, the militia generally is used as cannon fodder, among other things. I don't know, not in every situation. So, get your mind right. Also, last thing. Grand Thomas said it before and he's dead right. If you're not in shape, you're gonna fucking die. So, maybe I should have put that in there as like the third thing you do. The first thing you do is get your food and water right. The second thing you do is get a rifle. The third thing you do or maybe the, the second thing you do is get, you know, your sustainability and your energy situation, right? Your, your fuel, your generator, solar backup. Before you get the rifle, get your ass in shape, <laughs> okay? And if you got one and you're not in shape, then take everything I'm doing and listen to other things while you're jogging or while you're rucking, okay? Because that's going to be more beneficial for you than anything. It doesn't matter how fast your reloads are. If your ass is 365 pounds, okay? And I say that if you are 365 pounds, pretty exact. And I'm impressed that I guessed it. But more importantly, use that as motivation, bro. Be the fat guy in the gym and let the dudes who are ripped sit there and be like, props to you, and nod at you for showing up. And let the, let the punk bitch asses sit there and smirk at you because they don't even realize damn game here, okay? It's all good. Once you get into this, you'll realize people are going to think you're fucking crazy. 
Guys who seem cool, right, that you might watch on YouTube or drink their coffee, they're going to fucking look down on you. It's okay. You know what that means? That means you're on the right path. I'm Risky Krisky. Check out the link tree in the description. Welcome to fucking season two, baby. I'm excited. Let's fucking go.